Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. Um, and so it's great today to have our guest Jordan Robertson. Uh, Jordan is an ex-Jehovah's Witness and you're an activist, Jordan. Uh, and your podcast is called The Shund Experience uh, on YouTube. So welcome to the show, Jordan. Pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Great. Mm-hmm. It's great it's to have you to have on. You. So, Jordan, you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness, as we've said. Yeah. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what life is like growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. Could you describe that for us? Um, I suppose if you described it in one word... Um, suffocating is quite um, <laughs> an interesting way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I was born and raised uh, as a Jehovah's Witness and got baptised at the age of twelve, which is quite a common theme um, among mm-hmm. bornings into into the religion. Um, in terms of your upbringing, you don't know anything different. Mm. So you've got nothing to compare it against. Um, and, and as a youngster, your parents inculcate you into the religion. Um, and it's all you know. So, you you know, you, you sort of trust your parents. You, you take it as fact, essentially. Um, and in terms of lifestyle, it's it's very restrictive in terms of who you associate with what you think about, what you do in your spare time, how much time you give to the organisation. Um, but I think why I got baptised was so young is because that's what I thought was expected of me, really. Mm. Um, so, like I said, I didn't know anything different. And um, my parents thought it was what's best for me. Yeah. Um, but as you get older and you start to question things and you become a bit more wiser, mm. um, and you, you try and access access those critical thinking skills um becomes well like you can experience there's a whole other world out there mm. um so it's it's a very yeah suffocating is probably my way of describing uh, being raised as a jehovah's witness but that's only coming on the other side of it you don't feel yeah. suffocated at the time because you mm. think it's what's best for you but mm. um yeah looking back yeah it was definitely a suffocating way to, to raise a child yeah, so there's a couple of things you said there that I, I find quite interesting. I mean, that word inculcate is one that I often refer to because it's such a, I mean, it's such an accurate word, isn't it? Um, you know, as a child, you are inculcated. That's what you're told to do. Um, that scripture that says, you know, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, it's literally, I mean, that is the very definition of suffocating, I think. So that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is about, baptism um i find it quite interesting to talk to different generations of 
of ex-witnesses because it seems like we spoke to, in fact, that the interviews just come out today as we speak on a Sunday, um, Rob Crompton, and he he's, you know, a real kind of old timer, really, when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses. But he got baptised young, didn't he, Celine? Yeah, he did, yeah. I think he was 12 or 13, 14. But then when I was um, going along and when I got baptised, that was frowned upon. So we were, I was 16, which is still young to get Mm. baptised, but it was very rare to see somebody of sort of 12 and 13. But now that seems really common, which is Mm. quite interesting. I think it's like eight-year-olds, aren't there? You're quite mm. commonly getting baptized and stuff now, or like at least there's people I know um, that have been, yeah, getting baptized at like eight and things yeah. like that, like still in primary school. Um, do, you, do you think that's a problem, Jordan? Um, it's a very difficult question, um, but I think it's hard to put an age limit on something like that. But I definitely think you shouldn't be allowing children to make. Mm a decision of, of that magnitude at such a young age. Yeah. Um, I've always compared it to sort of um, decisions you can make, say, in the UK um, uh, as, as a citizen in terms of mm. you can't uh, sign a legal contract until the age of 18. Yeah. Um, you can't drive a car to your 17, drink alcohol to your 18. Mm. Um, so using that kind of logic, um, it's difficult to put an age limit on something like baptism, mm. but you, you definitely don't know yourself or what you're thinking about um, at, at that age. Um, mm. it's, it's not really a, a sensible age to to make a decision to be able to commit yourself to, to, to a religion. Mm-hmm. Especially as the consequences are quite dire, aren't they? So as soon as you, you're baptised... Um, you're then locked in, aren't you? You know, you can be disfellowships even at even at a very tender age. Mm. Um, so I think that's for me that's the biggest concern. It's um, yeah, of course, it's a you know if you really believe that it's the God of the universe, then you need to be old enough to to sort of think and know that. But there's also some real consequences for your life, um, and you're making a decision that can change your life quite. Drastically. If you you know someone that didn't grow up in it, if asking this if you um say if you chose not to be baptized because like you chose not to have your child baptized because you think they're too young is that going to have ramifications as well though people are gonna you know or other congregation members gonna be judgmental yes it's a it's a tough one Mm. um for me personally like I said I it was what was expected of me well that's what you feel was what's expected of you mm-hmm. so as a born in um I think it varies between congregation to congregation um I mean I was talking to to Lloyd about this recently um in terms of standards and there seems to be different varying mm-hmm. standards on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable yeah. depending on who the body of elders is etc but mm. I think you know, without generalising every congregation, I could probably safely say, as a born in, you you are a kind of expected to get baptised. Mm, um, they do want that level of commitment because you've got your family who want you to keep the family tradition going. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, what how others perceive you in the congregation, if you keep delaying baptism, they kind of view you in as a as an unspiritual person or mm. a potential worldly person because it's yeah. like you know why have you not got baptized yet mm. i mean obviously i did it at 12 but um seeing 
previous friends in, in the organisation who delayed it to their late teens. I can remember people feeling a lot of pressure from certain members of the organisation because it's like, you know, you're, you're approaching 20, you're not baptised yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and a common theme amongst Jehovah's Witnesses isn't just a baptism. They, they kind of want you to be married by the age of 25 as well. Um, you know, you, you get that stigma attached to you a, a lot as well if, you, if you're sort of 25 plus in the organisation. They, um, you know, they, you're not married yet. You're not got children yet. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure for uh, a to be raised this way, but then to have this pressure from from other members in the congregation. It's uh, you're definitely perceived a certain way if you get baptized or delay getting baptized. Yeah, they're, they're definitely looking for that level of commitment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, it's actually quite interesting. You say that about marriage. Just changing the subject slightly. Um, that's something that I didn't experience uh, in in my day. Um, the encouragement actually was to stay single if you could. Mm. Um, they always used to throw, is it where the Apostle Paul says, you know, if so it's it was the effect of, you know, if if you can't control yourself, then get married. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll yeah. be okay. But you'd be better if you can stay single. That's kind mm. of the message that I used to get as a young man. So mm-hmm. much so that I was—I actually felt quite guilty at first of being interested in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, women in the mm-hmm. congregation, um, and um, yeah, so I felt quite guilty. But that seems like that sort of changed a little bit from what you said. Yeah, I mean, I—I I didn't necessarily get that pressure, but mm. um, I think young women or sisters in the organisation—they—they they are the ones who get the brunt of that. Yeah, um, I, even the person who I did end up marrying as a Jehovah's Witness, she she was um, definitely um, put under pressure by members in her congregation by just receiving little comments like, you know, you're not married yet, mm. you're not thought about marriage, things like that. So I think it's more of an issue for, for women in the organisation, um, which is incredibly harsh to, to put them under that kind of pressure in, in when you've got this very restrictive lifestyle to live anyway, yeah. and then you've got other, you know, people in your in your congregation putting you under that kind of pressure, it's um, it's not easy at all. So I didn't experience it personally, but um, I, I know of people who have. Mm-hmm. It does feel very Pride and Prejudice sometimes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and it's meant, you know, we're meant to be in modern life, but it's like, yeah, the sort of like, you know, I've heard about that as well, where the women are sort of get to a certain age and everyone's, you know, you go to the a convention and everyone's sort of looking for partners and stuff and it's just like mm. this is I, yeah. it's funny you mention that Celine I yeah as a younger brother in the in the, mm-hmm. in the organization I always I mean I just dis, really disliked conventions anyway mm. um my attention span at them would last a couple of hours um so trying mm. to do three days was incredibly yeah. tough but I the bit I used to look forward to was I would always used to go with a mindset of how how many numbers am I going to get this weekend? You know, how many, <laughs> how many sisters am I going to meet? Never ended well because I didn't really get any. I didn't get many numbers. Um, so I was always like, okay, well, there's always the next one. Um, but yeah, I kind of went with that mindset from about fourteen to about my early twenties. So yeah, I wonder how many sisters and wonder how many numbers I'm going to get this yeah. weekend. I suppose it, it makes sense though because like you grow up in a congregation with these people, so then you know it's it it's kind of yeah when you go to the convention you can meet new people as like actually as adults rather than these people that you've you know have been your community you've grown up with and so on that 
it makes sense as to why it's just all the pressure put on like yeah a three-day convention to potentially find the person you might marry is a lot you know yeah they've got that they've got that added pressure but also i always used to experience um people were very presumptuous if if as a brother or as a sister and if you're seen on your own with just an, another member of the opposite sex and people you know see that when you next see them they go oh i didn't know you've got a girlfriend or i didn't know you've got a boyfriend and it's like yeah. you can't you can't be seen yeah. with a member of the opposite sex without mm-hmm. people you know having preconceived ideas about you know, you two must be an item mm-hmm. um you know i got I, I got that quite a lot um so i always have to always have to correct people and be like no there's, there's nothing going on there you know yeah as i've said I, I didn't get any numbers at the convention so it was just uh yeah <laughs> just having a chat yeah i suppose um what is it like in terms of you know when you actually are dating what is that experience like as a jehovah's witness versus you know is it it, it will be a different experience to quote unquote the, the worldly experience where to start with that one yeah. um <laughs> If I tackle just a, what's the dating like inside as a Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. and I'll come on to comparing it to, mm-hmm. you know, how the world does it. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, being chaperoned everywhere you go, mm-hmm. you, you cannot be left alone under any circumstances. Um, I, I think even if, you know, if you were to sleep in the same house, um, and even if you didn't share a bed, um, but you got... The, the elders got wind of you sort of sharing a house unchaperoned. That's a judicial committee straight away. Um, but yeah, you're chaperoned everywhere you go, which I find quite stupid, I think is the word, because mm-hmm. the logic they use and the emphasis they put on the decision to get married, it's the second most important decision under baptism. So if you're going to get to know somebody on a very deep personal and emotional level, you don't really have those kind of conversations with a third wheel present. Mm. Um, and in terms of the, the length you date somebody, again, I can't speak for every congregation. I think it does vary to where you go, but I think it's a common theme, um, especially in the UK. I, I don't know about the rest of the world, but uh, in certain congregations, you are pressured after a certain point to either get married or call the relationship off because the elders will monitor very closely what's going on. And if you get to, I don't know, a year, over a year, and you're still courting, as they like to call it, it may be slightly longer. Um, You are approached and they just ask you for your intentions, you know. So (laughs) when you're trying to make that kind of very, very important decision under those set of circumstances, it's definitely going to take people a lot longer to have got, you know, half a brain cell. Cause you, I mean, I was stupid and got married within a year of dating somebody, but um, yeah, it, it's very, very heavily monitored. That's mm-hmm. probably the best way I can describe uh, dating or courting as a Jehovah's witness. Yeah. Um, and then what comes with that is no sex before marriage. Um, and you can't even live with somebody before you marry them. And I feel you only really get to know somebody once you live with them from personal experience. Mm. Um, and obviously, without being too graphic, sex is quite a big part of your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have these set of circumstances imposed upon you, 
yeah, it's a very backwards, barbaric way of, of trying to, to get into a relationship with somebody and then try and marry them based upon uh, those set of criteria compared to living with someone, being able to have sex before marriage, um, etc. Yeah. Yeah, very limiting way of dating somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think as well, again, obviously without getting into too much detail, I think um, it's also, unfortunately, it's a major driver for young witnesses to get married is the fact that that is the only way that they're going to have any sexual mm-hmm. experiences or sexual yeah. life and that is a big part of life as you're growing up um yeah. you're becoming an adult um it's part of absolutely uh the natural process for somebody mm-hmm. and i understand um you know that lots of cultures have various arrangements and taboos and so on you know, but it's. Um, I think it is certainly in the modern era. It's one of the reasons why JWs get married so young, and sometimes mm. disastrously, mm. because yeah. just, there's no other option for them. I, I have had a witness say to me once that, like, so they weren't dating anyone at the time, but um, you know, I said I've been dating my partner. I think at the time we'd been dating for seven years, um, and they were just like, "Oh, why aren't? Oh, you're not getting married?" And I was like, "Well, it's not." like there's no no that would be pointless currently we're both like he's studying in a different city I'm here doing my stuff I just graduated like you know there's stuff going on like there's no need to do that right now we'll live together in a couple years um when things all line up and the the response was ah yeah we can't really do that when you know pretty much like between the lines was yeah we can't uh you know we can't have sex or like live together so we're just gonna, i'm just trying to like get married so i can get to that bit and there was a lot of like discussion mm. over you know going to other congregations to find mm. someone to marry and it was like yeah this sort of mission and it yeah yeah was quite strange um and eye-opening i suppose mm. but i um, mean i i um can kind of say i've experienced that myself because it wasn't the main driving force for me to get married but being able to have sex definitely played a big role in it mm-hmm. you know being open and honest um it's we all get to a, a stage in life and it's just a natural process Absolutely. um so when you suppress that mm-hmm. um you know it kind of makes you desire it a bit more and you kind of put a bit too much emphasis on that yeah. um and it can as a, as a common theme in, in many Jehovah's Witness marriages, it, it can end in disaster, as it did with me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't just the main driving force behind my mm. um, desire to get married, but it definitely mm. played a massive role in, in wanting to be able to have sex or something. Mm. And I suppose, like, with with um, when you get married, it's like, uh, you know, it's when a lot of people get to move out of the family home, isn't it? Because a lot of people uh, don't get to move out and. Uh, mm on their own terms other than if it's for getting married so it's another I, I know a lot of people have seen it as like a vehicle for freedom but obviously that's not always how it works out um because like you said you don't always know the person you're getting married as well as you you ought but um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of pressure I think put on relationships um because of all the things that you think that they're gonna provide for you like freedom and you know all these things um, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. You think it's going to be great, 
I mean, I certainly did at, at 21 when I got married. I thought, oh, it's, you know, we, obviously we had the pressures of, of planning a wedding, which always mm-hmm. does cause a bit of rift between families. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen, then it's, you know, that's not a normal wedding planning mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always had this end goal in sight. I think our oh, life would be so much better once we're just married. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then I quickly learned um, that wasn't to be the case. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. It's just a click or a tap, but it means that the show gets recognised as something of potential value and interest to others. And it's the main way that we know people care about what we're doing. So if you've not already done so, please click subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you're using. Thank you. And on with the show. So could you... um could you sum up your beliefs then as a, as a Jehovah's Witness? Not everybody listening to this podcast um, will have been a, a witness. So um, without going into, you know, we can't cover everything, but how would you kind of sum up Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs? What what uh, what would you say? Well, I would put them under the bracket um, as a part of Christianity, but I would say it's a very... Um, big offshoot of Christianity. So they, they like to, they are a Christian denomination, but they stay well clear of mainstream Christianity. Mm. You know, so they believe Jesus died on a torture stake. They don't believe in the Trinity. Um, they only believe that humans have been on the earth for 6,000 years. Um, and the main um, theology of the religion is, is doomsday theology. So humans messed up in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to to rectify the issue. It's now down to us to put faith in that. And if you don't, essentially, if you're not a Jehovah's Witness, you will die at uh, what they call Armageddon, which is the great battle between Mm. Jehovah, Jesus, the angels, and uh, the secular authorities on the earth. So, yeah, just to sum it up in a sentence, that's that's the the main core beliefs of, of Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. Um, and then to go with that they're more well known for refusing blood transfusions um, not partaking of of any holidays Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day Um, they they don't partake in anything like that as well so um, yeah that's probably like your main sort of if you want to sum up quite quickly the, the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses yeah so could you describe your the process of of sort of losing your belief what What's uh, what caused you to start to doubt or move away, or what what happened there? I would say I first started to access that part of the brain <laughs> when my brother was disfellowshipped, and the religion required me to shun him at all costs. Right, and I was about seventeen or eighteen at the time that, that when this happened, and I just couldn't do it. On a moral level, to start with, I I sat down because me and my brother are very close um, and we still are to this day. And I was I can remember the times I'd just be alone in my bedroom and I'd be you got loads of time to think and ponder on things. And I I just couldn't shun him at all, Mm. Um, which then led me on to this religion. It professes to. be known for its unconditional love and then 
with the disfellowshipping arrangement, I've always said to people, you don't understand it until it happens to you or somebody in your yeah. family. And I started to see that this isn't a religion that um, has unconditional love. Mm. It was very much conditional. Um, so personally, I couldn't shun my own brother. But then I started to question the authenticity of, of what I was being taught. Right. And that led to another stepping stone. And I stumbled across um, the the issues they've had in Australia with the, with the child abuse um, back in 2015 and 2017 at the Royal Commission. And watching the footage back as a Jehovah's Witness, the, the governing body consists of eight members. And you really put these men on a pedestal. They are essentially the direct link between humans and, and Jehovah and Jesus on the earth. So, you know, they're ultra spiritual, ultra holy men. Um, but to hear things like Jeffrey Jackson, a member of the governing body, say they don't profess to be the only channel God uses on the earth. But then when you go to the meeting on a Thursday and a Sunday, you're taught something completely different. Um, so I, I started to have those kind of doubts in my head about the authenticity of the, the governing body arrangement, just the organisation itself. Um, and then, obviously, my brother's already gone through this process. Uh, and out of love, he was just trying to steer me in the right direction. And I can remember a few times over the years when I've worked with him, we would have discussions upon the credibility of the Noah's Ark and, and the flood story. Mm. And I used to come back with those robotic responses about <laughs> you're taking Jehovah's hand and his Holy Spirit and his faith out of everything. But then when I really accessed that, the critical thinking skills in my brain, I got to a stage where I was like, I need to be able to validate my beliefs without using the Bible. So I want to use some some hardcore third-party evidence mm. to validate my beliefs. And what led me to do that was actually a video Lloyd Evans posted. That was one of his first videos going back many years. And he described it as the win-win scenario. So he said, if, if you're willing to put your beliefs under the microscope, you're either going to reinforce them and your faith will increase, or you'll realize you're being lied to and you'll wake up eventually. Mm. Um, and that, that's what changed for me in terms of waking up from, from the, the indoctrination side of things. So I had experienced having to shun my brother, which I couldn't do. And then as time progressed, just little seeds of doubt were, were put in there. And um, even the thought process going onto YouTube, looking at apostate material, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jehovah is watching you at all times. So even if the elders don't see what you're doing, mm. Jehovah is always watching. Yeah. And I, I can remember being very hot and flustered just by pressing play on this video. Mm. Um, but once I got past that stage, I knew this was the start of my journey out of the religion. And as Lloyd will profess and many ex-witnesses, it's not just a, 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 a switch you can flick. It's a very long, gradual process. Mm. And even when this information was being uncovered to myself, um, you know, after I was disfellowshipped, I visited the Natural History Museum in London. And that was a huge eye-opening experience mm. for me just to see, you know, all the fossils, 
ex- proper hardcore evidence of evolution. Mm. Um, and then they had sections on Noah's Ark and, and the flood story and where that originated. But just looking from a scientific point of view, I can't, I won't go into it because I'd be here forever if I spoke <laughs> about the, the scientific yeah. reasoning behind how Noah's Ark and the flood couldn't have happened. Hmm. But using um, the logic of if I can find one small grey area in the Bible and my beliefs, then I'm going to uncover more. Hmm. Um, so then I, I would, I discovered um, the inconsistency in the elder arrangement, mm-hmm. um, and I always questioned the Holy Spirit. So obviously, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is the force that Jehovah uses to direct his leadership upon the earth but how it'll impact your life personally Mm -hmm. um and my mum would always relay stories to me saying you know when i was a single sister in london um i would have times when i was struggling financially um, and i was pioneering and i was struggling for bible studies but i prayed to jehovah and my prayers were answered and i got to a stage and that that just didn't wash with me because i thought a God who's supposed to be all loving, wise and perfect, he's intervening in your life and you're a privileged person in terms of you've got a house to live in, you've got access to food, money, transport. But then there's people on the other side of the world who are suffering and don't have the basic necessities to, to get by in life. But you're telling me you help you, but he's ignoring, say, cancer in children in Africa. And that's when I that's when it changed for me in terms of the authenticity of the elder arrangement, the governing body, the Holy Spirit, um, amongst the issues they were having internally with how they handled child abuse. Mm. So it was a very it was a combination of things, mm. but it was a combination of things that happened gradually over years. And even when I was uncovering this, I still wanted to prove the religion right in my head, mm. yeah. because twenty odd years of indoctrination against a vast array array of information I've only recently just discovered because you've invested like you said about the sunken cost um, fallacy I'd invested 20 odd years of my life and it was incredibly disappointing to realize I was lied to by my parents inadvertently Um, so to actually act upon it is is probably the hardest thing to do and on top of click and play on that button on that video and <laughs> yeah. you know, having the courage to do things like that. So it was yeah, a very long process. That that's I think that's you know, that I I'd love to hear the way you've described that because I think that's so important for any current JWs to understand and indeed, you know, people that have never experienced it, but to understand what it's like to go through that process. You know, I think I think some Current Jehovah's Witnesses think that oh you know they're rebellious these these apostates they're they're naturally rebellious and they just want to find faults and they want to yeah. do this and they want to do that and it's in my experience and you've just relayed it as well um, that was the last thing I wanted I absolutely wanted to find out that it was the truth because that would was going to make me much happier mm. um, you know the last thing I wanted to know was that it was false. Um, so that's why you do, that's why you're motivated to do these things. It's not because you, you want to go and live a debauched life. You want to, you want to convince yourself because that's all, you know. Um, and I don't think, uh, often Jehovah's Witnesses see it that way. I don't think they realize the, the, 
the anguish that you're going through, you really want to believe it. You know, mm-hmm. I said before that I, I, I was in tears praying to Jehovah to make me believe it, you know, make me believe it. Um, and I would have done anything to just kind of accept it. But, you know, mm-hmm. as you've, as you've pointed out, you can't, if it's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, have you got anything to add, Celine? So um, I've got a couple of questions well, I want to ask about identity, but... Yeah, well, I was just going to ask, know. like, obviously, you know, some people go through this process, but then they, um, you know, they, they choose to keep going to the meetings because they don't mm. actually want, even though they know it's not true, they don't want to leave. What is it that, um, for you personally, what was it that made you feel like, okay, I know, you know, that this isn't true now, I have to leave. What was, you know, because there's, there's a moment where you can choose to either carry on going to the meetings and not believe or you can choose to fully just stop going you know what was it for you that meant you could do that I just well like many people I don't like to be lied to Mm -hmm. I think that's the overriding emotion Mm -hmm. Um, and for someone who now is an atheist and I'm a I'm a heavy believer in science just even researching the definition of the word science is to, you know, to gain knowledge and to seek truth. So science is always looking to disprove itself. Mm. Whereas it doesn't have an agenda, but as an example, Jehovah's Witnesses do have an agenda. They, they don't go with evidence. I, I, I really had to put, I, I, I'll say that again, I really had to take away having the, the element of faith and I will now be guided by evidence. Mm-hmm. So if there's no evidence to support a theory, I do not believe it. Yeah. Um, so that thought process was my main reasoning for coming out mm-hmm. um, on top of not wanting to be lied to. It's, it's as someone who likes to seek truth, yeah. excuse the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, like anybody in life, I don't like to be lied to. Um, yeah. And discovering... I mean, where do you start with that? But I've obviously touched, I've scratched mm-hmm. the surface on briefly where I discovered many um, lies and hypocrisy. That's mm-hmm. also another thing as well, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I see that as a common theme in, in many religions and cults. The, the level of hypocrisy um, is incredible, really. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't like hypocrites and I don't like to be lied to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about identity because I think that's that's an area I'm I'm personally quite interested in uh, from a sort of psychological perspective. So when when you're a Jehovah's Witness, you know your whole identity is wrapped up, isn't it, in this in this faith? I, d- I don't know whether you still had the Kingdom song, you know, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, mm-hmm. That that one was, and I used to love that as a kid, you know, we're, and it was like you know a real this is this is who I am. This is you know a part anthem. of this. Indeed. <laughs> um, so obviously that when you leave, then especially as a born in, um, what's that like in terms of, of your identity? How does that affect who you see yourself as? Well, the I liken being a Jehovah's Witness to the front cover of the iRobot movie. Mm. So you've just literally got the same robot essentially over and over again. The outward appearance looks different, but it's the scripture about the new personality. Yeah. So you're essentially are all the same. You have small scope to to be an individual in terms of your taste, but in terms of the kind of person you are, 
Well, you're, you're all just the same. Mm. So when you come out of being a Jehovah's Witness, you don't know who you are, mm. really. You don't fully know who you are. Um, so you learn an awful lot about, I mean, I've personally learned an awful lot about myself mm. coming out of the religion than compared to when I was part of it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very good question about you know, your identity um, and, and what defines it. But having your identity defined for you for, for 23 years of my life to then yeah. having to discover it myself, mm. it, it's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's such an interesting area. You know, it, you're bound to take some of your... Um, your story your narrative who you are and that's part of that is a big part of that was that you were a jehovah's witness i know when i left i tried to in some way kind of almost pretend that that had never happened i didn't talk to anybody about it i i kept it quiet at work um you know and it was it was almost like i wanted to pretend that had never happened so i you know i didn't get involved in anything you know, like um, activism or anything like that. There wasn't as much around, but it, it, it wasn't something that, because I just wanted to forget about it. But in a way, that meant boxing away a big part of my life. And I, I'm not sure that was particularly helpful. It, it, um, but I think that's the problem. You know, who are you? Well, you know, you've got this thing that you were, but is that I who, think, who you are now? No, yeah, I, I totally get... Um your your line of reasoning i think unfortunately it will always stay with you yeah um i mean my last relationship that i was in was we like we were together for sort of about three and a half years was mm. my first real experience of unconditional love from the outside world mm. um i mean we broke up for many reasons but a, a big part of the reason we broke up was how i was dealing with being shunned by my family right it would really impact my relationships with other people outside of the organization. And I find it incredibly painful that I just want to be left alone. I've, I've discovered this isn't the truth. Mm. I now want to get on with my life and educate myself and find the mm. truth in certain areas and not have my friends and my tastes in music and films restricted. Mm. But it always will stay with you, unfortunately. I've, I've, I've come to terms with, you know, if and when I do meet another person um, that I potentially will end up with, it will have to come up at some point because yeah. you're going to have to explain to that person, mm. you're not going to meet my mum and dad. Mm. You're definitely not going to go around for Christmas dinner. <laughs> Don't worry about your birthday presents because you're mm. not going to get any of them. <laughs> and, um, yeah, trying to find someone who doesn't mind those kind of things it's not the be all and end all in terms of you know finding a, a potential marriage mate or partner you want to spend the rest of your life with but because family is such a big important thing in life um that's yeah that's always going to be with me hmm. so even when i get to know somebody or i get to know friends hmm. um, in the future it will come up eventually and I yeah, find that right. incredibly sad because you just, you, like you said, you just want to leave it alone. You want to turn, you feel like you set the reset button mm. and you just wish that wasn't part of you. But I have come to terms with it. It's, it's now stuck with me for life in terms yeah. of having to deal with the shunning 
and then explaining to somebody, oh, you're not going to meet my family. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's two facets to that. There's one is the practical matters, like, like as you described, um, yeah, family issues or family, lack of kind of contact with family and some of the weird things you've got to explain as to why this it's like this and why it's like that. But then there's the other one, which is, is your sense of self and, um, where you've come from. Um, you know, so that's, that's the other one I think you have to struggle with, which is in some respects even more difficult. Um, but over the years, I feel like it's taken me quite a long time, but I, I can now see myself as a kind of whole person who, who has experienced things and grown as opposed to there being a, a point at which, you know, old Steve died and new Steve was born. I, I don't think like that anymore. Mm. I, I see myself as just somebody that's grown and developed over time. So I am the same person that I was as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I've just grown. And for me, that's just been a uh, a long journey to kind of work that out. <laughs> um, and and uh, But it's been useful because, you know, there's lots of bits about us in the past that, you know, are fine. They're not they're good they're good parts of us and and um, just being able to come to terms with all that i think is is quite important but it's mm-hmm. a definitely is a journey as you say it takes some time when you leave you become a, a different identity don't you because you become an ex you know an ex jehovah's witness and and you've got that identity you've you describe yourself as an activist um do you do you identify as an apostate is that something that you call yourself I mean, or? that that's an elate that's a label that obviously is the, the organization will mm. give me um but looking at the the definition or the true definition of the word apostate compared to the narrative jehovah's witnesses mm. use i'm an apostate in terms of how the oxford dictionary defines it as someone yeah. who has just left their previous religious or political views yeah i'm not mentally diseased <laughs> i'm not uh, vermin as they like to describe mm. I haven't got, even though it's it's messed my family life up unbelievably in, in terms of completely eradicating my family into two pieces, mm. and it's partially responsible for a failed marriage, I don't have any anger or resentment to the organisation mm. or the eight and a half million Jehovah's Witnesses. I just want to make awareness for people who aren't Jehovah's Witnesses, to Mm. provide education for them. And I want to support people in my position because I don't know the exact figure, but there are countless people out there who do end up taking their lives as a result of this. Mm. And that's something I want or I don't want to happen. So I want to try and impact it. Even if I helped one person, no, I I would be very satisfied that that my job is done. So is that, that's your motivation for doing the channel? and um... Yeah, that's my motivation for doing the channel. I'd like to give other people an opportunity to come on and have their say, but also I want to educate people um, on Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I've spent 23 years of it. You know, that's mm-hmm. 90% of my life in it. So I definitely feel it's my field. Um, <laughs> what I don't know about Jehovah's Witnesses isn't really worth knowing. <laughs> Um, but I'm always still learning and keeping up to date with the organisation because then it's information we can rebuttal and and put out there. Um, and for me, on a moral level, um, going back to, say, the child abuse thing as an example, I definitely feel that needs more exposure. Mm-hmm. So I want to play my part in making more people aware of that, that when 
obviously if the restrictions allow and they decide to go back to doing the door-to-door work that this religion doesn't keep children safe it doesn't um, provide a safe network for, for families and if you're seriously unfortunate enough to experience being abused as a child actually going through the the policies in the elders book and the direction they use which comes from the governing body mm. to not report it mm. more people need to know about this mm. um mm. so on a moral level that doesn't sit right with me mm. so yeah there's there's very there, there's a vast array of, of motivations to to get into my activism um but also again on a personal level it's destroyed my life um so i don't think it's fair so I want to do my bit, and I don't think the the word fight back is the right way to put it, but I want, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. Um, so that my family and the eight and a half million Jehovah's Witnesses are being told one side, whereas if I can help educate people on how Jehovah's Witnesses are, the structure mm-hmm. of the religion, how they handle child abuse, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there's... We're in, we're in an age now where there's becoming more and more awareness for many things. Mm. But I've always felt religion has always had this free pass and it's a, a subject you can't criticise. Um, so that's what I want to try and, you know, do essentially in terms of the Jehovah's Witnesses is to put them under the microscope mm. because it's affected me personally and I don't want this to happen to other people. Mm. I mean, the irony about... Um, you know the way that Jehovah's Witnesses treat apostates is that they are essentially apostate generating machines because they they go out and uh, knock on people's doors to try and change their um, their the people they meet to try and change their religion don't they you know so if they meet a Catholic or a a Muslim or Church of England their, their main goal is to try and convert them from their belief into the new belief at which at which point they become apostates so yeah, they're actually big fans of apostasy. <laughs> when it suits them, yeah. <laughs> it's Double just standard. they don't like anybody leaving their own religion. Yeah, absolutely. Just mm. complete hypocrisy. <laughs> absolutely. Um, what do you think is the future of Jehovah's Witnesses? Because it, um, I, I mean, I find this quite interesting because obviously I've been out a long time. I've been out over 20-odd years. You're, you're much more recent. You're much closer to it. I, I What I see of it now, um, mainly through the videos that yourself and others put out um it seems quite different to the way that i remember it um you know i I, all the videos and the the um, emphasis on the governing body i mean we never i never knew who the governing body was you know they were just faceless individuals um you know so it's changed quite a lot where do you think it's going well to start with on a positive note they have um recorded a deficit for a very long time in terms of members going out mm. to members coming in. So I believe they had 300,000 members baptised when mm. the last figures were published. But they tactfully and carefully don't tell you how many members are now inactive or disfellowshipped or disassociated. Yeah. Um, they're trying to get with the times in terms of technology. Mm. So they've created JW Broadcasting, they created JW.org, the website, um they're, they're very much trying to digital i can't even say that word digitalize the organization mm. um they're trying to get with the times in with technology 
And going on that point you mentioned about the governing body, they are more visual now, and I think mm. this is becoming their biggest downfall. Mm. Um, mainly because you can't, a, a few of the members you can't take seriously anyway for many reasons. <laughs> mm. um, quite comical, some of them. Um, but the future of Jehovah's Witnesses, I, th- I do think it's just going to be a steady decline. I, mm. If you want my personal opinion, mm. I think they've peaked in terms of membership. More and more people have access to the internet now. When I was a teenager, it wasn't such a thing like you mentioned. You never saw or heard of many activists, say, on YouTube or other um, podcasting platforms like yourselves, Mm. um, trying to put it under the microscope. But that's that's now, you know, one click away, essentially. Mm. And young younger people do have access to mobile phones, tablets, because that's the way their religion's gone. But then it'll also be a downfall because how are they going to how are parents going to police the children and what they watch and what they find, say on YouTube or on Google or on these blog and, and vlog sites. So I think I don't expect to see a huge decrease. I don't think there's just going to be one year and the membership's going to be slashed by say a quarter or something sure. like that. But I do think it's going to be a steady decline. And they will just become, I think they're always going to exist, but I do think they are going to become um, a small minority. I think it's about breaking the generation um, Mm. situation in terms of born-ins. If you can break that cycle, that will play a huge role in in decreasing Mm. members. And then when members who have been in for, for decades and eventually, unfortunately, people die, when those members do die off, who are the new members coming in? If you can break that overlapping generation with born-ins, I think, yeah, new recruits are going to be few and far between, um, mm. especially in the Western world. And, and it'll be interesting to see how the organisation responds to that. I've already noticed um, a slight change in their tactics. Um, so, again, going back not that many years, um, Jehovah's Witnesses would pretty much ignore criticism and they would just ignore people that were trying to make trouble for them they they felt that it was better to do that than um you know kind of go after them legally or whatever because that only carries on the story you know keeps the thing going but i've noticed they they seem to be much more aggressive now to um you know youtubers and so on that are you know copyright law seems to be a big deal for jehovah's witnesses now whereas in the past they just wanted to get the message out, but now it's um, so. I, I just sense a change, and I just wonder as numbers do decline, which I think you could well be, well be right. Uh, I wonder how they're going to respond to that. Um, I think we could see some changes in their, um, yeah, their demeanor, their their character, maybe. I think the true colors will come out eventually. Yeah, they they yeah. definitely make advantage of of the law when it suits them. Mm. But again. A great example of hypocrisy is they will quite happily exploit um, mm. bylaws and copyright laws mm. um, and violate, you know, the the fair use policy. Yeah. But they've got this database which dates back to the nineteen fifties, and even though they legally don't have to hand it over in some countries, it, it's about doing what's morally right at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 very interesting. They they don't sort of thinking those terms i think because they've got this us and them mentality um you know 
whereas most of those organizations in the Royal Commission or even in the UK, when they're given advice about, right, well, this is good practice, this is how you should be managing these issues, you know, mm. they're, they're just not interested in listening to that advice. Um, and that's that's what comes from an us and them situation, you know, mm. where this, these are worldly people. What can they tell us about God's organization, you know? I think mm. their biggest trump card is the new light doctrine. I think yeah, as we go through uh, the yeah. decades, mm. I think they can just use that over and over again. Mm. Um, I think as times change, as society changes and evolves, I just think they will just like palm the witnesses off with its new life. We've received some new light, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So disregard that. Um, disregard that old light. Those watchtowers. See, it's it's funny I mentioned that because it's just. Um, brought back a point I was discussing with with a fellow ex Jehovah's Witness um, about that. It's a mu- it's much harder to find old watchtowers. You've really got to go looking. Mm. But going back to the point I made about JW Broadcasting, and obviously they believe, and it's on record on the camera, we're in the final part of the last days of the last days yeah. at the end of the system. <laughs> so when we get 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the line, you haven't got to go far. You can just mm. hold that video up and go, we're still waiting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit, it's a lot easier than digging out an old watchtower mm. um, and seeing a double standard. So, yeah, mm. I think, um, I think it hopefully will encourage people to be more critical of the organization. But yeah, I think they're always going to have a core membership. Mm. Um I think even if the governing body come out and said this religion isn't true, I do think people would still believe it. There would be an offshoot, wouldn't there? And, mm-hmm. and that is one of the potential scenarios that I've considered um, over the next few years is whether there will be some sort of outcrop growth out of Jehovah's Witnesses. I think, you know, as as pressure mounts from various different uh, avenues, I can see things get, getting a bit fraught within the governing body and i can i can definitely see that um you know if you look at other organizations that go through similar things whether that be governments or, or other sorts of organizations where when the pressure's on then then people start behaving in ways which they're looking after themselves and trying to protect their own back and um yeah i, I can i can definitely see splintering that's yeah. that's that would be par for the course for groups mm-hmm. like this. In fact, I'm surprised in a way it's quite, although you've still got Bible students around, so mm-hmm. there has been a splinter already, but mm-hmm. you know, most organizations go through a kind of period of splintering. And so I, I can definitely see that. Yeah. You might have some extreme uh, version of it and one that's a bit less, um, less extreme. So yeah, I, I can see that. It's not a prediction. Um, it's not new light, but uh, no. that, that would be my, my guess. Yeah. Uh, cool. Selene, have you got any more questions for Jordan? Yeah, sort of going off in a different direction um, before we finish, just something I'm interested in hearing from someone that um, left more recently than Dad, is when you were still going, was um, homeschooling quite prevalent within uh, the congregation you were at? Or Yes, it was, actually. Uh, yeah. My brother was homeschooled briefly because he was bullied severely at school for his mm-hmm. beliefs. Yeah. I was bullied in my early years at school, mm-hmm. um, but I managed to endure that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there was uh, probably 
three or four members of my congregation on top of my brother who who were homeschooled. It was mm-hmm. quite a quite a big thing in our congregation. Yeah, I mean, what do you you think about homeschooling in terms of you know? Because we've spoken a little bit about uh, uh sort of you know indoctrinating children from a young age. I mean, how do you feel about um homeschooling? Because it's something that in England you can just take your kids out and and homeschool. Um, it it worries me a little bit. Obviously, I understand if your child's struggling, that it would be a natural decision to make, isn't it? That, but um, mm. it does worry me a little bit in that you're removed another step further from society. Um, what do you think? Yeah, but without insulting the intelligence of Jehovah's Witness family members, mm. I think it's incredibly um, presumptuous and quite silly to pull your children out of a free education. Mm and then to be to educate them mm-hmm. and the majority of jehovah's witnesses have no form of higher education they do have a basic yeah. education so to be educated um on a secular level in that way by your family isn't the, the worst thing that could happen mm. i certainly wouldn't advise it um, because you're not going to be encouraged to pursue further education mm. but you're also again sheltered from the outside world so even though you can take your children out of school, you're just delaying the issue they're going to have later in life, mm. i.e. my brother was bullied. Mm-hmm. But when he's 16, he's going to have to get a job. Mm. Yeah. So it's much better to learn how to deal with that, even though you shouldn't be bullied for something like that. Children don't like what's different. That's just a fact with, with kids. Mm. But I think it, you're just delaying the inevitable. Mm-hmm. So trying to be able to deal with that issue if you do get it when you get a job and also having to learn to interact with people on, on the other side of the organization is i found that incredibly tough mm-hmm. and i went to school mm-hmm. so for someone who is protected and who doesn't go to school i, I think it is quite um I don't know what the right word is, but I think it's quite silly to to pull your children out of a free education, really. I think it's quite damaging as well to harm their academic growth, but also their social growth and learning how to interact with other people. Yeah, and I think it it concerns me as well because, you know, with what you were speaking about um, in terms of, you know, the... Like with children, it's it, school is a place where you can get resources and help from outside of your family unit or outside of the JWs. So it, it concerns me in that sense. Um, you know, if you do need to go to someone, at least with school, uh, you've got another option. Um, and it's a place where they can teach you things uh, other than the witness stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, that's what some families are afraid of. Mm. is um being educated in a way and accessing that part of the brain that they don't want you to access you know that critical thinking Mm. side of your brain um i think that's definitely why they discourage further education Mm. because it's law and you know they have a policy caesar's things to caesar god's things to god you have to be educated but Mm. yeah i think um home education is is quite a big big uh thing and quite popular in the in the jehovah's witness organization yeah. It's it's um it's something that is quite common in in cults, isn't it? Um, we were talking to uh, Dr. Yanya Lalic um, this week, and um, she she identified that 
as one of the, the things that often happens in courts. And then, of course, um, for a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses as well, when they when they finish their required education, they may well um, get a window cleaning round or something like that. So again, they're not actually having anything to do with with anybody else in the world, so other than as customers. So um, yeah, you can live a life now, actually, um, completely blocked you, off. Yeah, you're not mm. you're not in a compound, but you might as well be. Mm. you know because your, your schooling was done at home and you, you you leave school or you leave education and you you window cleaning or you're doing something like that and um yeah you've never really had any any contact with with the world in any way and that's yeah that's mm. can't be good mm. you know it's a very sheltered way of of raising your children and um mm. when you do eventually if and when you get married and branch off mm. You know, even running a household, I think yeah. a lot of witnesses don't understand how mm. difficult it is to hold a, a sustainable job down and, and get by each month. Mm. I think they are, they, they obviously look after their own, which isn't a bad thing. Mm. Um, but there were families in my um, congregation who they, they live at home still with their parents and grandparents mm. on, on massive estates. And they've converted barns for their grandchildren oh. to live in with their married family members and it's just stupid really because you know they don't have to pay any bills mm. they can just their grandparents would always say oh we just like to support our pioneers in the yeah. congregation um, and they would do the classic two days a week window cleaning mm. three days a week up on the field service and then obviously your standard meetings and ministry and to go in with that so and you don't understand you don't you you're denying yourself a basic education, but then you're just denying yourself the ability to survive in the world. And mm. like you mm. do with your podcast to be able to make sense of it. Mm. You know, Absolutely. so it's, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a very silly way to, to, um, to raise children. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving my opinion. I don't have kids myself, but I, sure. I certainly won't be repeating that as and when I do have children, yes. mm. yeah. Yeah. I will be encouraging them to be free thinkers, to question yeah. and, and criticize everything. Mm. And, Go and have an education. Yeah, mm, really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what what do we as a society? Um, what do we do with um, groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and others, of course? Um, how do we balance this need to allow people to believe whatever they want to believe, but on the other hand, protect people? What What's your thoughts on that? It's a very good question, and it's something I'm incredibly um, passionate about. Mm. Um, just talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but I suppose I could generalise it mm. in terms of religion. You can't police what people think. Um, you can't force people to think um, or believe anything. We've got the right to be, have freedom of belief and freedom of religion. But with that, you have the freedom to also change your beliefs. Mm. And I think it's okay to have these beliefs but when it starts impacting other people's lives who don't want anything to do with it, who don't want it forced upon them, then I think as a society we do need to fight back a little bit. Mm. How we do that, that's going to be very interesting to see how we as a society do that. Mm. Again, that's my motivation for, for activism. Um, mm. But I've got nothing wrong with what people believe. No, um, It's kind of what makes being a human an incredible thing really we've all got difference of opinion and difference of beliefs mm. and it 
it's good to sit around and have a, de a debate with people. And I think that's something that's slowly becoming um, fizzled out of society. People don't want to debate things anymore because you're afraid of offending people. Whereas I think doing it the right way, there's nothing wrong with putting those beliefs under scrutiny. Mm. Um, if and when it does affect people who don't want to be part of a group or a religion, mm. I think, yeah, if it, if it starts affecting other people's lives, then that's when I believe society does need to, to mm. implement some changes. But obviously I'm not a politician, so no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to start, but I do think it needs to be looked at. I think I think the question on shunning is is something that that could probably we do need to start a conversation about. And like you, I, I don't have any simple answers to it, but I think um, we probably should start asking questions about things like uh, we know, obviously no no law can make you talk to your children. You know that, that's that's so in that respect you can't completely outlaw it because people fall out with each other all the time and decide not to talk to each other. And that that's, you know, that's, I guess, normal, although sad. But I think when there's a, when there's, that's imposed from a, an organized religion on parents who naturally don't want to do that, but feel like they have to, um, you do wonder whether that could be looked at um, as, as one of the things, because it is so damaging. Um, and then there's the hate um, speech, which, um, is directed towards people who have different beliefs. I mean, the hate speech towards apostates is sometimes quite staggering. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, being mentally diseased is 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 very unpleasant. Um, and also, and they're it, not you know they're not held accountable for the way they are towards like the LGBT community. I don't yeah, think people exactly. know about that. So mm -hmm. awareness is really important. I think it's the first step in that. You know, like I think everybody's said the same thing of thinking there's this nice old lady that comes and knocks on your door and it's just you know a little mm. christian lady there's nothing harmful there um but people are starting to know now that yeah there is shunning and there is you know there is hate towards other in that group and mm. that we need to shine a light on that so that they don't just get away with it yeah i mean on top of the shunning arrangement obviously my cousin um when she was three was diagnosed with leukemia and my uncle and aunt refused to give her her blood transfusion. Right. Um, it was taken to the High Court in London, but obviously they did end up giving her a transfusion, but it was way too late. Right. Um, so trying to tackle these issues as well, mm. on top of um, shunning mm. the investigation of child abuse, mm. I I've always found it's, like you mentioned, Celine, about they can get away with mischaracterizing and slandering people like myself. Mm. You know, the way I'm characterized and known to the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, it's not, it's not who I am. Mm. They're essentially lying about myself and, you know, my intentions and my motives. But when you not fight back again, it's not the right way to put it, but when you start speaking out, mm. You've got to do it in the right way because it, it's very easy for them to to pull the hate speech card. Mm. Um, I, I know of activists who have, have they've tried to take down because of it, um, but that doesn't mean it should go away. Mm. I've always felt it's okay for for the witnesses to say whatever they like about former members, but when former members want to speak out and make awareness, like what we're doing, you know, mm. today on a podcast, they don't like. Um, and again, it's a classic example of society in, in certain areas doesn't like to debate things anymore. 
And mm. uh, I think it's it's a sad thing because I love sitting around having a conversation with people, mm. especially those who've got a difference of opinion to me because I don't look to convert them. But it's just the art of conversation and the art of debating. It, it's not a bad thing to do because mm. we don't progress as a society otherwise. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, how we tackle that with the witnesses, yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting mm. to see if society decides to, to make some mm. changes in terms of shunning arrangements. Um, I know they've made some progress in Belgium with that. Yes. Um, mm. So is that the first step towards the rest of the world becoming more aware to it? Mm, uh, maybe. Who, who knows, really? But um, it's, it's a very difficult question. You can't mm. force things upon people because then you're just a cult yourself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's about having the art of debate, the art of conversation, um, mm. and being progressive. But unfortunately, with cults, they don't like to be. Mm. The, the, the biggest issue I have with cults is they don't like to be criticised. That's right. And mm-hmm. um, that's, yeah, that's wrong on, on, on very many levels, psychologically, emotionally, and intellectually. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you're so, certainly doing your bit to um, to raise awareness. So um, you know, keep up the good work and great stuff that you're doing. Thank you. Um, I personally have really enjoyed our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to come on. Thank you very thank, much for, for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. It's thank been you. great. Um, so your um, podcast channel is, or your YouTube channel is called the Shund Experience. We'll put a link on that, obviously, but you can soon find it mm-hmm. by just typing that in. Um, so yeah I definitely recommend checking that out Um, Jordan thank you very much for being on the podcast it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much guys thank you What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production